Hello and welcome to the Future Tribe podcast. Each week we'll be talking about getting things done. We'll talk to people who've built up their businesses, pulled off amazing projects and cover everything from psychology and strategy to the tips and tricks that will help make your dream a reality. We're the podcast that's all about empowering the optimists and the go-getters. I'm your host, Jermaine Muller. You're listening to the Future Tribe podcast and this episode is just getting started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Future Tribe podcast. This week, we've got, as usual, a whole week's worth of interesting news from the world of tech, business, social media, and marketing. Um, Hayden, do you want to take away the notable news to get get us rolling? Yeah, Jermaine, I'd love to. Um, so first up, Instagram is um, testing its hiding of like counts in the US as well. Uh, Adobe Photoshop arrives on the iPad. Saudi Arabia reportedly recruited Twitter employees to steal personal data of activists. Uh, popular Android phones can be tricked into snooping on their owners. Uh, YouTube redesigns their homepage while Apple fixes their not-so-encrypted emails. Disney Plus is planning to launch at the end of March and Airbnb will finally verify all of its listings. So another big week of news here, Jermaine. Yeah, we've got sort of, again, everyone from the from the tech world sort of um, doing something different, doing something not so good, <laughs> not, yeah, not, no surprise. Um, but to get the ball rolling, Instagram is to test hiding like counts in the US. This isn't uh, surprising. We've seen them tested in in Australia, I believe. Um, well, Australia for yeah, sure. Yeah, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, New Zealand Island, I believe as well. So yeah, some of their smaller markets, but this is yeah, the first time yeah. it's hitting North America. And a big, big market. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so it's basically the same rollout as before, just hiding likes on posts so only the poster can see it. But what's interesting about the article is that it says that the effect that this has had on the markets where it's already been rolled out is that big um, accounts are seeing less likes on their posts. And basically the article goes on to say that this can have a negative impact on influencers uh, moving forward and their ability to earn revenue from their accounts. Yeah, I wonder how, um, you know, advertisers can verify that a post has got the reach that an influencer claims it does if mm. if they, there's no way to, for them to go in and check. And even, even look at like counts, I believe we, in Australia, the poster can't see total like counts. Is that correct? Let me double check while we're, while we're on online at the moment yeah yeah i mean it's an interesting point just while you check that out because it it would be worrying as business to only go on the amount of followers an account has and trying to base you know a rate of conversion a rate of how much you're going to pay them based on that because if someone has a lot of followers it doesn't usually mean that they have a lot of you know it doesn't necessarily mean rather that they have a lot of engaged uh followers who are liking their posts and you know, commenting on their stuff. So it is interesting and I think it's dangerous for a lot of a lot of companies trying to use influencers because it is getting harder and harder to gauge their influence. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point um, that it isn't like count. It's, it's just sort of one metric. It doesn't, 
always speak to uh, the popularity or the reach of, of a post. Mm. Um, I've mm. just verified. So it does show you how many people have liked your post. You just have to click through. Um, that's if, if, if you're the poster yourself. So if, um, if you're the poster, it will show you um, how many likes you've, you've received. Um, but I, I wonder if this talk of um, the, the like, number of likes decreasing due to the likes being hidden, I wonder if that has more to do with uh, something like, let's say, you know, the Instagram algorithms sort of readjusting or um, perhaps if, you know, there have been more, more or, or other influencers sort of coming up I wonder if I wonder if anyone's mm. even done sort of this research in the past to to track how influencers um, likes sort of ebb and flow, um, and I, I guess it's not really possible to do a, a control. Yeah, it's a hard thing to test, right? I, and I wonder whether it's a chicken in the egg type argument where the only reason the likes are going down is not necessarily because of the change directly, but because now that you know likes aren't forward facing you don't need to make posts that are trying to get likes as much you can you know create more organic content and mm. you know that's why it's falling precipitously but again it's a weird world influences it's a weird weird very strange world well it's and a young world it's a, it's a world that i'm i'm sure if you look into other um means of advertising in the past um there there were a time was a time when you know it took off and then it sort of as as the market started to get flooded with with you know um more people doing similar stuff it sort of starts to starts to fall off again so no no surprise uh that instagram has decided to now push the like counts into the us it's been a little while that we've had it in australia but i wonder if you know facebook will follow suit really soon and um if there's well, they already room, have well, in, in, in the US, have they? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was talking about Australia. Yeah. Yes. I yes. mean, you assume, I mean, same parent company, you assume that if they're having this, you know, view upon likes in the Instagram realm, that they would carry that over to Facebook as well. But who knows? Who yeah, knows? I, 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 I haven't seen it caught on, which is, which um, I'm not surprised about, No, as in no other platforms as far as i know have sort of taken the same approach of not showing numbers publicly they've they've played around with things like you know rounding rounding uh, up and rounding down and you know showing you to the nearest thousandth but they haven't um sort of taken the approach of not showing showing you at all but moving on um uh, adobe photoshop arriving on the ipad um so for those who don't know, Photoshop is a very popular application, very powerful application used to edit uh, images and manipulate images. And it's now coming to the iPad, which probably works in well with Apple's approach um, or Apple's marketing angle that the iPad is more than just a computer um, and that you can use your comp- use an iPad just like you would a computer, if not for more. So, Jermaine, as as the resident designer on this podcast what do you think about this i mean i'm sort of surprised that photoshop wasn't on ipad to begin with it seems like a slam dunk to me honestly well this is the thing 
when you when I use Photoshop on a computer, there's a lot of zooming in to detail, zooming out. Um, it's very very granular. It's the sort of editing that I think you'd struggle to do on a um, tablet. Um, sure. I, you know, I don't use Photoshop on my phone, for example, for the same reason. Um, yes, it's a you know completely different screen size, but I, I, I'm not surprised in in that you know, like you said, it seems like a slam dunk. Why wouldn't you have it? have it accessible once you have your programs software accessible um, on every every device especially for um, it looks like it will be just ten dollars per month uh, us which is much cheaper than um, you know getting a whole say creative creative cloud license which is which is how um, it's just sort of the Adobe subscription service. Mm. Um, mm, which yeah. means that I guess you know Photoshop now is more accessible for people um, who are, say, influencers who like to edit their photos um, before they upload it or um, who like to Photoshop and, you know, don't necessarily um, use it enough to justify spending the equivalent of, you know, 50 to 100 Australian dollars a month um, on a whole package but can justify $15 a month. Yeah, this doesn't seem like a mainline competitor to you know photoshop proper but it does seem like something that you know you would give your kid or you know if he they were trying in, to get into graphic design or something like that or if you were a very you know successful graphic designer and you wanted to do stuff quickly you know or you know you're a social media manager i could see you using this to quickly edit photos and have it all there on the ipad and not have to you know import it to the desktop fix it up yes. there, put it back on the on the phone but, post. Yeah, but it should be said though that this version isn't as um, feature complete as the desktop version. There's a, a, it's a very stripped back. You know, as you can imagine, it's on the iPad. It will be exactly. Version. I mean, Photoshop yeah. on desktop. I would say, I wouldn't be surprised if you know they have anywhere from two hundred to three hundred different options and buttons and features and menus, um, yep. which just you cannot see that happening on an iPad. Yeah. And, and just the, the keyboard and mouse interface isn't going to um, translate directly to a touch interface. So there will obviously be some growing pains there. It'll be interesting to see how many people pick it up and whether the design community actually, you know, uh, embraces it or whether this is sort of just Adobe looking for another revenue stream, making their... Yeah, um, a different market even rather than yeah. the, the current market. I mean, initial reviews from what I've read and seen, I personally don't have an iPad, so I haven't been able to test it out myself, but initial reviews are very poor. Um, people Ugh. are very unhappy with it, yes. Um, because I guess it's one of those things, like if you can't bring the same level of you know capability to a device why keep the same name why call it photoshop if if it isn't you know really photoshop it's more stripped yeah. back um they've done That's it in the past point. they've had yeah. sort of you know um i think they had photoshop express possibly was that was the name of, a, of an app they might still have it so you know you can't you can't review it's sort of like you know ferrari or lamborghini building a car but you know, making it as powerful as a Toyota Yaris. Um, yeah, yeah. Shouldn't probably keep because it's 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 the brand, right? It's 
the Photoshop brand is all about this high level of power. Mm. Well, I, I definitely agree, but I think if I was going to make a counter argument, I'd sort of equate it to, you know, if you were playing like a video game or running software on, you know, a desktop that's really specced out, that's obviously going to look a lot better than if you were playing it on, you know, a PlayStation 3 or a Nintendo Switch. And yet those games, you know, all release at the same time, all under the same name. So I think they're taking the approach that, hey, if you're using Photoshop on an iPad, you're obviously not a professional or you are a professional who sort of understands that it's not going to be same the same as a desktop experience. So yeah true again it's interesting yeah it's interesting to see that you know people aren't really liking it initially hopefully adobe supports it you know well into the future and gives it some updates that make it a bit more functional but uh yeah it's interesting move from adobe and again i just can't believe it took them this long i mean the ipad has been out for what like eight years nearly seven years yeah yeah Photoshop I guess only time will tell how it, how it goes. Um, moving on, um, Saudi Arabia reported, reportedly recruited Twitter employees to steal personal data of activists. Um, mm, I guess it just is, is a revelation of uh, the fact that most people will do almost anything for money. Um, yeah, and it, and it doesn't seem like it was a great sum of money as well. I mean, the two people the two Twitter employees who were involved, they only got offered, you know, a couple of thousand dollars and a, and a designer watch it says in the article. Mm. And in response to this, they go and do something, which is a pretty big no, no. If you work at a tech company, I assume, I mean, the privacy of people's information is so sacred at these companies. It's what they build, you know, their brand on in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I can't believe that, you know, employees like that, had access to you know information that easily and then you know when they did they basically like they didn't even have an excuse for when they got caught in the article it basically says that the the guys who got caught their excuse was oh we were looking out of it we were looking at it out of interest like (laughs) i I can't imagine a worse lie or a less believable lie you know i've ever heard in my life and then the next day they go and take a plane with their family to Saudi Arabia and now work with the government. I, yeah, it's wow. It's horrible for Twitter. Wow, I, it, yeah. This is a PR nightmare for Twitter. I wonder what, um, what Twitter will do because from what I can tell, they haven't really taken action yet is that is that right they're saying well, that it's still open for yeah you know, investigation mm, well they've notarized you know people they've notarized so basically to take it a step back the people that were targeted by this data breach were people like journalists who are critical of the saudi arabian um you know royal family mm-hmm. uh activists who speak out against them so basically they did notarize people in those communities or who might be affiliated with them that look data of yours might have been leaked um, you might be in risk so you need to take precautions but beyond that i mean i'm not sure what twitter can do really i mean it's been done this yeah they this can't really fire anyone was done they in 2015. Really... yeah what, what well, can that's they the do it's like these guys yeah these guys skipped out of town like almost immediately after being caught uh, mm. i think it just really goes to show that you know 
obviously, it's not whether you trust that the trust these big tech companies. It's the fact that they have your information, and you know, it only takes one employee to do the wrong thing, and then a whole group of people who haven't even done anything wrong, their safety becomes jeopardized. All be, you know, for such a small price tag as well, like yeah, it, 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 I, this, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. You know, enough million dollars like life life changing money this mm, was a small mm, definitely i mean this leads in well with um apple um fixing encrypted email on mac os um because i think they both both articles um show you and i guess remind you that um or your data probably isn't as safe and as encrypted and as secure as you think it is, um, whether it's to people for people yeah. to access or whether it is for a computer level issue um, that results in, you know, portions of emails in, in the case of Apple um, portions of emails being saved unencrypted um, you know, in a world where there's this huge push for towards encryption and um, a huge push um, towards, you know, governments getting involved and and um, asking um, asking tech companies not to encrypt communication for security purposes. Um, I guess treat everything like you know everyone can see it nowadays. Yeah. So so basically. So taking a step back again, I mean, what does an encrypted email mean? Like if I don't know anything about anything, I'm just your average Joe who emails at work and stuff like that. What is an encrypted email? And what The concept is Apple? that when something is sent, it becomes encrypted, meaning that you need a special key to unlock the contents of that, say, message. Then yep. the message is sent over an internet connection or whatever it is received on the other end, and then then the contents are opened up again. So basically, the understanding is that once so any form of communication or media leaves the original device, that anything in between, res, uh, you know, nothing in between can read what is, what is yeah. within that message because yeah. they don't have the password that is needed to unlock it. So... Yeah. Encryption is good in terms of privacy because it means that, you know, Twitter, for example, cannot, um, cannot uh, look into our messages, um, which you might be wondering, hold on, they have access to both apps on both devices, but the, the idea is that encryption happens at a device level. Yeah. So the gov- governments don't want this to happen because it does mean that we can't, we can't, um, track you know not so good people um trying to do not so good things um because we can't see what their communications are all about so it does raise security concerns um but you know if a company says that they're encrypting your messages you hope that they're properly encrypting it that's all there is to it i guess yeah i mean it just sort of it seems like every every week when we sit down for this last week on Tuesday, it just seems like another tech company seems to be making the same blunders with personal information. Do you think this is ever going to catch up to them and, and, you know, hurt their bottom line or as a consumer, do we just come 
to the conclusion that, hey, data breaches and, you know, things of that nature are just inevitable with how much information that we give these companies and how little we pay for their products. I think that's antiquated. I just don't think, I don't think you can even pay for data breaches not to happen because if you think about it, Aiden, these companies, they have so much money that, and it's not in their interest for data breaches to occur. So I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a money thing. It's just the fact that, you know, there's so much communication. There's so many people involved. There's so many computers involved that inevitably, um, either someone's going to work permutations as well. There's just like different factors to bug test for. I mean, this is why so many companies will pay, you know, notorious hackers to come and, you know, work for them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, have half a million dollar sort of um, bug hunts or bounty hunts where you find a bug and, um, you know, the, the, the biggest players do it. Even governments nowadays do it where they offer you, you know, a 24 hour hackathon and, you know, the top bug, finder gets half a million dollars and so on and so forth so it is big money it is it's not about money it's just inevitable because um there's just so many things going on like you said there's so many permutations of so many situations that i think as users we just all have to realize that this is going to happen so it's a matter of uh being comfortable with you know if this was to be sent to the public would i be okay with it Yes or no, and just go from there. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Moving on, um, YouTube um, redesigning their homepage. Did you notice this? Are you a big YouTube user yourself? Yeah, so I am. Um, I haven't noticed it yet just because I don't, I watch a lot of my YouTube on, you know, my tablet device. From, uh, but um, yes. it, it just seems like a, yeah, it seems like a pretty minor change from what I can tell. They're obviously making the videos bigger, which means less videos will occupy your screen. Um, but I think a really cool feature of this new redesign and one that I've been asking for for years and years is that you can finally get channels to stop being suggested for you. And now while this seems like a pretty minor detail, a minor inclusion, it was always so annoying when, you know, you have a significant other or something log into your account or, you know, a little cousin log into your account. He watches one video of something you'd never watch and now you open up your YouTube front page and it's all the recommended videos from that video and there was never any way to, to get rid of it. Yeah, I get what you mean. That, that, that happens every once in a while. Or if you're, say, there's been a few instances where I'm trying to show clients examples of, uh, videos that we could, you know, use for them or styles of videos. Mm. And then you end up with all these recommendations and, um, or someone wants to show you something funny and the same thing happens. Um, I, I noticed this change and I personally, I hate it. Um, I think bigger thumbnails make no sense. Um, yeah, I, I use it on, I use YouTube on my desktop all the time. I actually thought that, I'm, I mean, I'm overseas at the moment. So I thought that maybe, you know, YouTube overseas is different to YouTube Australia, but as it turns out, it was, it was all part of, you know, the, the change in, um, in, in YouTube's actual approach. Um, the reason I don't like it is because screens are becoming higher and higher density, higher and higher, uh, pixel count and, and resolution. So moving to bigger thumbnails to me makes little sense. Um, 
you, you can yeah. show more information in my opinion and and they're sort of taking the the opposite approach so now you have you know say two and a half rows of of uh video at best versus three rows which doesn't seem like much but you know in a world where i try to, to avoid uh, scrolling as much as possible um it, it, this is going against that well i think the the one downside of this if i was a youtube creator i mean is just being able to you know leverage the youtube front page and using that to grow your channel i mean I can imagine with less videos being, you know, showcased on the YouTube front page, that means there's less spots for channels to, you know, get one of those slots, be able to grow their channel and, you know, so on and so forth. So I, I think there will be some backlash from the YouTube community over this. I mean, there's already a lot of negative sentiment about, you know, the fact that real YouTube creators don't get those spots and they're more just big corporations or big, you know, media companies just making YouTube content and getting, yeah. getting those places. But yeah, it's interesting to see. I mean, the, the change will be rolling out on Android and iOS apps soon, um, which means that it's going to be an even bigger problem. We all have bigger screen devices, but we're going to be able to see less. Um, you know, maybe, I, 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 I don't know, maybe, maybe people like it. I'd be surprised if people like it. I personally like more information where possible. Um, but moving on, Disney Plus is launching in the UK on the 31st of March, 2020. So what's that? About four or five months to go. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Netflix has this down in their calendar. It's like a doomsday. <laughs> well, I mean, I just realized uh, we didn't talk about it. Yeah. I mean, we didn't talk about it, but it's launching in the US on the 12th of November, which is... Well, today, if you're listening to the podcast, um, well, in Australia, it'll be tomorrow, I guess. Um, but mm. yeah, it's already available in the Netherlands. Um, apparently, that launched back in September. I'm not sure why why we're only hearing about all this. Um, but yeah, I wonder what the Dis what the Disney Plus um, service is doing to Netflix at the moment. Well, I think just Disney Plus just has a wide variety of content, you know, for their users because they obviously have all the Disney IP. But I only recently found out this morning actually that Hulu, who is actually you know another big streaming giant, is owned by Disney, and they have a mm-hmm. lot of um, the FX shows that come out in America, which you know are the high quality. Uh, cable series that are over there so if you've ever watched um, things such as like the people vs oj that's a hulu uh, that's a fx show that would be on hulu which would now be on disney plus so it really is looking like disney are going to end up running a monopoly i think on you know the streaming market just because of how much ip they've been able to accrue over the past five years I guess it shows you, though, that um, Netflix is aware of this because they, was it just last week that they, they announced that they were investing, a, you know, billions of dollars in, in new content? So, obviously, um, Netflix yeah. has realised um, that they need, they can only compete on content, um, but good on them. I think what will result in this is Disney, inevitably, when they launch, uh, there'll be a whole lot of people who want to consume this content that has already been made this you know legacy content so to speak um but at some point you and i we're going to run out of disney shows and disney movies and 
um, well, Disney things to watch and we're going to want new content. And I'm sure Disney will continue to make new content, but, you know, when it comes to new content, if Netflix is making new content and Disney is as well, then you would think that it's a more even playing field there. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, the only thing I worry about is does Netflix in the way that they release shows, right, where they typically release the whole season in a day, um, you know, for the for you to watch whenever you want to watch it, do people then, you know, go to Netflix specifically for four or five tentpole shows and then let their membership lapse over, you know, mm. half a year or three quarters of the year, whereas Disney, because their back catalogue is so strong, you know, will they get people to, you know, just in perpetuity stay subscribed to their service. I mean, to me, it's looking like Netflix is in a lot of trouble. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. But I guess Netflix has, you know, 12 months. Yeah, sorry, you, you were saying you just feel like... Oh, yeah, I just feel like at the end of the day, it's going to get to a point where Netflix, you know, the reason why people come to their platform is only going to be for four or five, you know, uh, key programs right you know tentpole programs but is that enough for a streaming service to get users who consistently subscribe to their like to their service are they going to subscribe for the whole 12 months of a year because i feel like if they don't then that's going to be a big problem for netflix's uh revenue stream because right now if you're an australian outside of stan and a few other options amazon prime you really don't have a lot of other you know platforms to stream stuff on and if you want to just chuck something on, I mean, you go to Netflix and that's sort of why you keep your subscription there. Whereas if Disney Plus, you know, when it eventually gets rolled out to Australia, I'm not so certain that I will keep my Netflix uh, um, subscription alongside a Disney Plus one. I'll probably pick one. Mm. And unfortunately, that's probably going to be Disney Plus. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately for Netflix. Yeah. No. Um, well, I guess only time will tell. Uh Competition, as always, I think is just good for everyone, good for the consumers, maybe not so much for investors, depending on which side wins out in the end. But, you know, investing is a gamble. So, um, no, I look forward to it. But moving on, um, Airbnb is finally going to verify all of its listings. Sounds like this is way overdue. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have definitely been duped by... um, not false Airbnb listings, I would say, but definitely uh, disingenuous, dishonest ones that, you know, don't accurately showcase what you're getting as a consumer. Um, but yeah, as you said, this is very long overdue. I'm surprised for the longest time that Airbnb hasn't had a verification process really um, for the quality of the listings and the accuracy. It, it just seems so backwards. Yeah, it seems like that that was that is their number one selling point. So it's it's weird that it's taken them this long. Um, that they're, they're hoping that everything will be you know um, will reach this this whole level of verification by December next year. So they're giving themselves a lot of time. I'm sure they have a lot of a lot of. Um, uh, listings to go through, but I've never been duped. I wonder. I wonder how they'll do this. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, how can you verify the accuracy of photos, addresses, listing details, cleanliness, safety, and basic home amenities? Like, 
I mean, the only way I can assume they do it is where they operate. They would hire independent people to check out every listing, but I feel like that would be an extremely expensive process because if you're just going to verify it through, uh, you know, um, supplying videos and, you know, additional uh, information and stuff, I don't see how that can't be manipulated um, as well and sort of go against the whole verification process. I mean, it's weird that they're taking not a nonchalant approach to this, but the fact that it never got brought up and one of the biggest reasons why people typically avoid Airbnbs is because they are, you know, uh, worried about being taken advantage of and how it's really a peer-to-peer marketplace. There is mm. no, you know, it's not like a hotel where it's like you go to the hotel, it's got a name brand behind it. You know, we the most part don't get such a bad place. And yeah, I just can't believe that Airbnb has taken this long to get a verification uh, functionality on that platform. Yeah, I'm not sure how they're going to do it though. Uh, it'll be it'll be very interesting to watch how it rolls out and what it does to their bottom line. Mm, well, it's definitely not going to help it. I mean, I, I can't. As I said before, I can't imagine that this will be a cheap process. But even more than that, I. I think more and more people are becoming a bit a bit hesitant to use Airbnb because apparently, you know, from the article we're reading from, scams are becoming um, more and more prevalent on these platforms. And, and they typically are prevalent on platforms like eBay or Facebook where they take a laissez-faire approach to helping the consumer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of work for Airbnb to do, not only in terms of, you know, actually verifying the places, but sort of, uh, sort of fixing their, their, you know, their, the way that consumers look at them in the marketplace. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Well, that sort of wraps up uh, this week's news, Hayden, unless there's anything I missed. No, uh, we uh, hit it all. Hit it all. Fantastic. All right. On, on that note, um, as always, we'll have all the links um, in the description so you can click through and read uh, about the news articles yourself. Um, we don't have video for this week's podcast uh, because of internet connection issues. Um, I'm traveling, as I mentioned in the podcast, so we've had to uh, sacrifice video for the sake of audio quality. Um, but that's about it. If you have any comments, if you have any thoughts, as always, let us know. Until, until next week, uh, take it easy. Talk to you later, Future Tribe. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Future Tribe podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app. It goes a long way to helping us. If you have any thoughts, questions, or comments, email us at hello at f-u-t-u-r-e-t-r-i dot b-e. If you haven't already, become a part of the tribe on Facebook. Go to f-u-t-u-r-e-t-r-i dot b-e slash fb and invite your friends we're just getting started and we would love to see you there that's it from us i hope this episode has empowered you to keep working on bettering your future it's a pleasure to have you as part of the tribe see you next time